but Josh said something in pre-service prayer this morning that I made a note of here, um, and I just want to repeat it because I think it's really good, and I think his prayer was, Father, would you rewrite in our hearts what good church looks like? Um, and I wrote it down, uh, first of all, because it just so encapsulates, I think, the sermon series that we've been in. Lord, rewrite for us what good church look like looks like, not consumer church, not entertain me church, not, you know, whatever it is, Lord. What, what does it mean that good, it's good church? Um, what, what is that? And that's what this whole Ecclesia series is about, the things that we've been speaking about the past few weeks. But even in our day-to-day, even in, in just this morning as we gather, Lord, um, rewrite for us what good church today looks like. And I want us to be comfortable doing things like that, building in times of silence, sort of redirecting. But anyway, so we're talking about this Ecclesia series, and today what I want to talk about is what a church looks like that is characterized um, by welcome and by hospitality. And, you know, I really kind of regret not doing this before the last one I did about unity, because I, I realized I feel like this is kind of the cart before the horse here, because I feel like we talked about how to be one and how to live that way before we really talked about being gathered together as one and, and being built as community. But, you know, it is what it is. My, my plans failed there. I was like really up on the unity thing. And then I went, shoot, I really should have done the hospitality thing first. But it's OK. God will fix it. I'm sure he will, he will use it as he wants it to be used. Um, but, you know, in our, in our church context, we often talk about hospitality as this wonderful thing, you know, that like Melanie coordinates for us in the lobby. We've got this, this beautiful welcome space. Um, we, we think of it in terms maybe of hospitality ministry and, and making a welcoming, inviting space. You know, people can come have coffee and get a few snacks and kind of get primed up for church and get some caffeine in them. And, and maybe there's some greeting that goes on, um, whether that's formalized or not, and a welcome gift. You know, and all of that is indeed a part of church hospitality, and it's a super important one because we want to make sure we have a welcoming space. But I I think what I want to focus on this morning, it really goes beyond that into what I'm going to call radical hospitality. Because there's like a hospitality ministry, but I think there's something deeper that's, that's, you know, like if that stuff is the tip of the iceberg, that this is down below the water. And it's not just that initial impression but it's really the practice of making room for people in our communities. And whether that be our homes or our church or our social circles, it's that practice of going deeper and and going beyond that sort of introductory first impression kind of thing. If, If you've ever been in someone's home, or I can just ask you to think and remember this, have you ever been in someone's home where you just felt at home? Like you could really be there and let your hair down and no pretense kind of thing. You were welcome as you were. One of those places is like you feel like you could fall asleep on their couch and it would be okay because they'd probably just cover you up with a blanket and turn out the light and let you rest. You know, one of these places where you could just settle in. And being in that type of a place is so much more important than just, it's beyond just having an invitation to be there or being welcome to come in the door. It's, you're wanted there, you're safe there, you're at home there, there was a space made for you there. My grandmother, my, she was actually my great-grandmother, was really good at this. You know, when I walked in her house, um, she welcomed me with just the most warmest, sincere smile, and then she'd hurry off to the kitchen to get me a package of Nutty Bars and a giant glass of milk kind of thing. And she'd come back and she'd sit me down and 
And it's like I felt like royalty when I was in her home, just so welcomed. And I mean, that glass of milk, it was full to the brim. And the Nutty Bars, it wasn't one of these deals where I do with my kids and I'm like, you can have one of the bars. No, I got both bars, you know, and it's like I didn't have to worry about it kind of thing. And time just kind of seemed to slow down when I was there. And there was no withholding of the resources that she had. She wanted to share with me, you know, everything that she had and, and make space for me. Usually when I ended up there, it was because there was a little in-law house right behind her house. And when I ended up at her house, it was usually because I'd gotten locked out of my house, you know. So it wasn't even like this pre-planned thing. But whenever I'd knock on her door and be like, Granny, I left my key again, you know. The way that she always welcomed me in and loved me was just transformational for me. And being in that space, I just felt like the complexities of my day kind of simplified and faded back. There's this clip, and you're going to laugh. <laughs> this was my favorite movie as a kid. And when I watched this movie, there's this clip, it reminded me of my granny, and it reminded me of this feeling. So if you will play my silly cartoon Robin Hood clip, and then we'll giggle about it together. It needs lots of volume. Sonny, that box is done upright pretty, ain't it? Well, Mr. Sheriff's sure, it's my birthday present, sir. It sure is. Why don't you open it? Oh, boy. One whole farthing. Have you no art? We all scrimped and sived to give it to him. Now, that's mighty thoughty of you, widder woman. The family that saves together pays together. Oh, now don't take it so hard, Sonny. Prince John wishes you a happy birthday, too. Um, 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 for the poor. Hmm, wait. <laughs> well, so far it's been a cheerful morning. <laughs> Keep saving. <laughs> what a dirty trick, you poor old man. <laughs> Do come in. Come in and rest yourself. Thank you kindly, Mother. Thank you. Tell me now, did me old ears hear someone singing a birthday today? Yes, sir. And that mean old sheriff took my birthday present. Did he now? But be a stout-hearted little lad and don't let it get you down. Gee whiz, it's Robin Hood. Happy birthday, son. I, what relevance does that possibly have to a sermon, <laughs> right? In my weird mind, this, I, I, this came to me, that, that clip came to me when I was preparing this. And it's funny, actually, if you know the movie, it goes on, obviously, to be quite a blessing to Mother Rabbit and her litter there. Uh, the way that he ends up giving this, this kid, um, um, he ends up giving him his hat and his bow for his birthday. And it, it ends up being this huge blessing to the family. But I just, I love that line where she's like, come in, come in and rest yourself. You know, this welcome that she has, this like, she's just had something taken from her. She's just had her life interrupted. And she clearly, I don't know where her husband is, y'all. But this is ridiculous, you know, and I, but I look at her 
but th this clip, I just think it's the cutest. And on, if you, if you kind of know the rest of the scene, it actually goes, I, I just giggled to myself in preparing this because later in the sermon, I, I'm, we're talking about the blessing that returns to us as our hospitality. And the whole thing fits, you know, even though it's from like a 1980s Disney animated kind of thing. Anyway, onward. But this, this to me, I love this picture of hospitality. This come in, come in and rest yourself. You know, to complete strangers, having few resources, but space and time and attention to give. If you know anything about hospitality in the ancient world, it wasn't that way. As I was doing my research for this and just reading hospitality in the ancient world was actually quite serious business. And in the, in the culture that Jesus found himself living in, you know, travelers were very vulnerable. Foreigners were very vulnerable. They were vulnerable to the elements as they're traveling. Um, you know, Rome came in and did quite a bit to ensure safety on the roads and stuff. But still, in general, travelers were very vulnerable to the elements. They were vulnerable to others on the road who might rob from them, take advantage of them, harm them. Foreigners, sojourners, outsiders, you know, they really all truly depended on the kindness of strangers for protection, for provision, for welcome, for all those things. And we live in this time now where we just don't find ourselves in that state of dependence in the same way. You know, it's not like that. We're really, a lot of times, I think, too dependent or independent for our own good. And you know, we can, if we don't have a place to stay and something happens, we can rent a hotel. If we don't have access to the grocery store for that night, we can run through and get a burger. There's these things that we can do to take care of what we need to without having to be reliant on each other the way that they were um, in the culture that Jesus found himself in. Y'all know that, what is it, the streetcar named Desire, where she says, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers or whatever. And it's, it's just not that way anymore. That's not where we find ourselves. But our, even though our culture has changed in that sense, I don't think this value of hospitality is any less important or critical because there's, we have no fewer of the vulnerable among us. We have no fewer of the lonely or strangers or the poor or the outsiders, you know, do we? There's still just as much of that. And so hospitality is still just as important. But the challenge for the contemporary church is that we have to discern how to practice these kingdom values in the culture that we find ourselves in, in these modern forms of family and church and social circles that we have. And so that's what I want to talk about a bit today. So as a church for us, I really think radical hospitality means making space for those who need to be comfortable here. And it has to be, you know, with all of their junk and with all of their emotions and all of their hangups and all of their burdens, but it being more than just a, hey, you can come in and be here and have coffee and, and get a mug and whatever, but, but being something more akin to, you know, we'll be with you here. We'll invite you in with us to be here. I believe radical hospitality pushes past those superficial niceties of the friendliness and that, that first welcome and small talk, and it is a depth of welcome that is beyond words into actually making space for souls. Not just people and bodies, but for souls. It's this spiritual gift that I think is a, a holistic type thing that, that makes space to meet physical and spiritual and emotional needs and social needs even all at once in one fell swoop. Not to 
divide that up. So as much as my granny exuded the hospitality of the come on in and have a nutty bar and rest yourself, you know, I think radical kingdom hospitality is defined by a person. And of course, it's the person of Jesus. You know, Jesus, in his divine nature, he chose to step out of heaven and become a foreigner, an outsider on this earth. He becomes a traveler. Jesus himself, he's the picture of this stranger that's actually in need of welcome. From his birth, his, his mother, his parents travel, and he's born in an inn. They couldn't even find a place to have the baby. They go on this journey. He's born in an inn. He's a refugee from Israel because the king's trying to kill him. And so he has to flee to Egypt. He's an immigrant. And as an adult, the Bible tells us that he had no place to lay his head. He's a homeless adult. I actually, the lady that's running the Wings of Armor thing, I had a really great conversation with her the first day I met her because she serves these homeless people in downtown and, you know, as she's trying to find a way for them to connect. And I said, well, you realize Jesus gets that, right? Like the Bible tells us he was homeless and had no place to lay his head. And it just, she was like, oh my gosh, you're right. And, and the way that he can relate to those who are on the outside. So his life, Jesus's life has this duality of both needing welcome, but then also being the one to offer the most radical welcome ever. And when it comes to his followers, I really think that he expects both of us um, that we give that welcome, but then he wants to give it to us as well. Romans 15, 7, which will be one of our kind of key verses that this will all be framed by, says this, to welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you. And so that requires us to really consider what kind of welcome is it that Jesus has offered to us. You know, when we look at who Jesus is and how he welcomed the stranger and the outcast, we see that he gave a loving welcome to children who were not thought anything of in his time, to prostitutes, to tax collectors, to the mentally ill, to the poor, to sinners of every kind. They came to him, and they found welcome in his presence. Because you see, the, the Greek and, like we were talking about all ago, the Greek and the Roman hospitality practices of Jesus' day, they were not in line with Jesus' actions. This was really weird to people. Because in that time, the standard was to... When you invited someone in for dinner or invited someone for something, you did it expecting something in return. Your welcome was focused on those who could give something back to you. That's just like the way it worked. And so if you were invited to dinner, there was a quid pro quo kind of expected. They were, they were looking for something. It was this idea of, well, I did this for you, so what are you going to do for me in return? How are you going to pay me back? So I want to go to Luke chapter 14 together, please. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14. I'll give you just a second. As Josh says, it's always good to pull out your old school paper Bibles in case the Holy Spirit has something else he wants to show you in this. But the context here is that Jesus has indeed been invited to this dinner. It's a Pharisee, a prominent, well-known Pharisee. And he's over at his house for dinner, and they're watching Jesus really closely because he's been doing all this stuff that's really kind of upsetting them, right? So Jesus is there for this dinner, and this Pharisee is one of these type of guys who his M.O. was probably going to be, he invites over people that are going to help him keep his prominence. 
that are going to repay him back with something in return for his, his hospitality in his house. And so here we are in this dinner, and this Pharisee has invited Jesus and this other group of people over, and he's going to be looking for some sort of networking or power or favor in return. And Jesus begins to speak and address the situation and call out some of their behavior and correct it and change their mindsets. So this is what Jesus says to the people who were in attendance at this dinner. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If, they, if you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so here he is in this dinner creating like the worst etiquette faux pas because he's speaking about the people he's surrounded by saying, you guys really shouldn't be the ones who are guests here. The ones you should be inviting are the ones out in the streets that are poor and lame and crippled and can't repay you anything. And so he's undermining the very purpose of the dinner that he finds himself at, telling them, don't invite those who are like all of you. You know, include those who can do nothing to pay you back. And it shows Jesus' type of welcome and the welcome that the early Christian church had was focused on those who had little or nothing to offer in return. And likewise, I think our contemporary churches, we have to be characterized by offering a hospitality to everyone regardless of the potential benefit to us or to the church. And I know I've been guilty of this myself before. We can't look for those or welcome those in that we think may fill a role, that might fill seats and make us look better, that might become a tithing unit, you know? I hate that phrase, but it's true, right? A Pam's giggling. That's, it's like this, it's this, this phrase that you hear in Christian leadership. Our welcome has to be with nothing expected in return. Our hospitality has to be defined like what Jesus' looks like. Because that to, to give welcome and hospitality that expects something in return, it's ambitious hospitality. So if we're like the Pharisee expecting something in return, that's, what not, that's not what Jesus is looking for. Because what Jesus is looking for is a kindness that we don't expect to be repaid or reciprocated. Because a kingdom hospitality expects nothing in return. It's selfless and it's others focused. And those that Jesus welcomed, he, he, they had nothing to give him in return. He got no benefit. So I think we need to start by asking ourselves if that's what our welcome is like. Does our welcome reflect, like Romans 15 says, that with which we have been welcomed into the kingdom? Does it mirror that? And if not, if our hospitality has been connected to any sort, whether it, it, not just in the church, but in your homes, in your social circles, whatever, if our hospitality has been connected, even in the back of our minds, with any sort of ulterior motive, I think we need to repent and try again and change the way we look at people and welcome people. The next verse I want to go to is Matthew chapter 25, if you guys will go there with me. Matthew chapter 25, thank you, verses 31 through 46. 
Because this is the verses that describe what happens when we either get this right or we blow it. It reveals our motive and what happens as a result of that motive. So Matthew chapter 25, and you'll, you'll need to look these up. There was a little bit too much that um, I didn't feel like it fit on the slides well. Starting in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separate the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. There is weight in these verses. Because there is this terrifyingly wonderful mystery here wherein somehow welcoming the stranger, welcoming the poor, welcoming the, uh, the outsider is at the same time welcoming the person of Jesus himself. And I don't think we can just breeze past that really quickly. I think we need to set on that and consider that for a minute. So to be effective practitioners of hospitality, I think we need to welcome the kingdom of God in whatever form it manifests. Josh had a, a word in pre-service prayer that sounded like this, and I, I wish I'd written down more detail, but it was, that, it was that welcoming the Lord in the places we don't expect him. The same thing happened, it always does. A lot of the sermon got preached in pre-service prayer. But I think it's confirmation that this is something that, because, you know, as a church, I'm not beating us up, because I think in generally we're a pretty welcoming church, and I, I know you guys pretty well, and I think you're welcoming people. But like I said at the beginning, I think there's a depth to this thing that's there that's the Lord wants us to dig into. Because the deeper we go, the more culturally subversive this is. The more we stand out in the world around us, and the more people will see Jesus in us and through us, in our homes and in our churches. So I think we do need to strive for our own households to be this way, and I think we have to work further that our church looks more and more like this, that it's characterized by this type of welcome because I believe that hospitality is central to the meaning of the gospel. I, I wrote this phrase down and I put it up here because I, uh, kind of I think this is kind of our big takeaway for the day. And I'm going to just read it straight out because I don't want to mess it up. 
because this is that in, in the preparation, at least in my experience, in preparing a sermon, I feel like there's just one nugget that the Holy Spirit kind of lays in front of me usually. And for this, <laughs> this was it. So maybe I don't have it up there. So maybe just listen. To proclaim the good news of a kingdom that has an open gate through Jesus to all who would come to him, but then to withhold our resources and restrict our welcome to those who meet certain social criteria or who don't offend us or who have it together to a degree acceptable to our sensibilities is a disingenuous and a hypocritical message that is contrary to our gospel. That they go hand in hand. We can't proclaim a good news that is truly good news and welcome to all and then not demonstrate it by being open and welcoming and loving and expecting people to jump through our hoops. Hospitality gives, I believe, the gospel credibility to those who are far from it because it actually aligns our beliefs and our practices with the core values of the kingdom in such a way that the outsider can see it and see it demonstrated. Psalm 68.6 says that the Lord places the lonely into families. And I love this verse. This was one that was somebody said years ago at the last church that we went to, and I held on to it. I thought that's such a beautiful, compassionate thing, that the Lord places the lonely into families. And when he places the lonely into kingdom community families, he expects us to further that by working through hospitality and into unity. This is kind of going back to what I talked about a couple of weeks ago because, you know, in a way I think hospitality is the hands and the feet of unity because it's through this really radical, culturally subversive hospitality that we actually do demonstrate that the division between genders and sexes and classes and all that really is indeed able to be overcome because we very intentionally step over those social boundaries with welcome and hospitality to invite others and, and bridge those gaps. And so it's the, it's the hands, it's the, the teeth of unity in that sense. This is what I believe the quote-unquote politics of the kingdom actually look like. That's a dirty word that doesn't normally go with the kingdom. But what are we doing to make room for the stranger, to feed the hungry, to give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the poor, to care for the sick, to visit those who are in prison? And these are all just, you know, archetypes or of, of, of isolated, lonely, and those not in community. Now, admittedly, it is like trying to step over an elephant in the room if we pretend like this concept does not have some connection with our current national politics and what's going on in our culture. And I'm not about to go political on you. That's just not my jam. I don't do that. Josh and I have actually had very interesting conversations about stuff where that my whole I'm not sure Jesus would have even voted thing if he was allowed to. I won't go there today. But I read something. We'll talk about that another time when I'm not on the record. But I read something very convicting this week in this book that I was reading to prepare for this sermon. The title of the book is called um, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. It's by this lady, Christine Pohl, who has done a massive amount of research on both ancient hospitality practices and visiting a number of what she calls um, hospitality communities. If you think of like monasteries and these retreats and these places that are built and designed just for getaways, for people just to be communities of hospitality. And she's written this book about recovering it as a Christian value and a, a kingdom tradition. And there's this excerpt that was very convicting to me 
And it's not at all drawing a partisan line, so I don't want you to hear that in it. Um, but what I do want you to, to glean from it is kind of this um, heart check or um, a check of our, our MO. So let me read this to you, and Holy Spirit, would you use this for your purposes? Even among Christians, many of the current discussions about poverty and welfare, inclusion and diversity, scarcity and distribution, are conducted without the benefit of any coherent theological framework. Often, the result is that our stands on complex social and public policy concerns are little affected by our deepest Christian values and commitments. Hospitality as a framework provides a bridge which connects our theology and our daily life and concerns. You know, each of us doing our very best as flawed and imperfect humans to act and think and believe and operate according to kingdom values, we might and are probably still going to come to different conclusions about what the role of government and hospitality related type stuff like, you know, immigration and welfare and social services and security and all those things, we're still probably going to come to different conclusions of what that should look like. But whatever conclusion that we arrive at should be based on our best understanding of the gospel, even if we get it wrong. It has to be based on our best effort at understanding the gospel of the kingdom and nothing else. Because if it is based on anything else, be it you know fear or greed or resentment or distrust or whatever, it's not kingdom-fueled, and we have to recalibrate. And so we have to make sure that in, our, that in our acting and deciding and thinking, we are fueled by the kingdom. So given that hospitality connects our theology with our daily life and concerns, like Ms. Pohl points out, in what circumstances can we offer hospitality as individuals, as a church, as a community? So let's actually ask ourselves this question. What are our individual places of security and connection? And, and that's not a rhetorical question. Like, you know, what are our places of security and connection and welcome that, that we feel like we're, you know, that, that mother rabbit there? Come in and rest yourself. What places do we have like that? And then let's look around and let's see who's at the periphery of those places and let's see who we can then welcome in. You know, this can happen in our homes with our neighbors. This can happen with having a family over for dinner. It can happen in our church as we invite others to come in and, and be with us and say, you know, come sit with me. I'll be with you there. It can happen in our social circles. I have this group of soccer mom and dad friends, you know, that we've built over the seasons that I really enjoy. And I love every Saturday when I get to go sit and cheer for our kids with them. And we've become good friends. And now one of them's got me joining this gym that I'm going to. And I'm going to work out with her. And we went and played trivia with the other one. But I've got this place of connection and acceptance and welcome with people who really are not very much like me other than their kids in soccer. But I, I've noticed, you know, there's about half of Karis's soccer team that's new this year, and so there's all these parents sitting on the sideline that are kind of by themselves and like little islands to themselves, and they don't really cheer very loud because they don't know anyone else's name. And I just realized in preparing this sermon, like I have this place of welcome that I have been loved and accepted and included that I can now turn around and welcome and accept and include others. And I ha but I have to be intentional about it. 
because they're not coming to me. I have to go to them. I was at the uh, doctor the other day, and there was this lady sitting in the waiting room, and this one, you know, I, I, I plan to do better with the soccer thing. Like, uh, my eyes were open to that this week because um, we never want to become a click, you know. We never want to become a click. I, I, know, I, I know it's hard sometimes. There's people who we do just click better with or whatever, but, but our welcome has to extend to all. And I was sitting in my, um, my doctor's office in the waiting room this week, and there was this one other lady sitting in there, and I, I got to talking to her about something completely unrelated and just getting to know her. And it turns out she's a military wife. And I asked about her husband, and her husband is deployed to Afghanistan right now, and she made these comments about how they really haven't lived here that long, and they really won't be here much longer than a year, and they'll get, you know, moved somewhere else, and they've lived in Italy, and she listed all these places they've lived. And kind of in the middle of this conversation, the nurse came and called me back, so I had to get up and go. But I, as I reflected on that conversation and as I was preparing this, I just realized how lonely she must be to be here and be moved so often and, and be jerked out of community so often and have the one person, you know, that's kind of by her side on the other side of the world. And I thought, oh, my gosh, if she's out there when I leave, I, I just need to say something to her, you know? Like, I need to give her my number and, and name and, and say, listen, if you ever need a hand or, like, a coffee date or whatever, like, call me. I know you don't know me from anyone, but it was one of these places where in preparing a sermon, I really felt like the rubber met the road. Now, unfortunately, when I went out, she was gone, you know? But, but it, it opens our eyes to those people who are right by us that if we hear some of their story, we realize that we may have something to offer there that they are lacking and that they are deficient in. So there's lots of, you know, other super practical ways to do this and places to do this. You know, every spring right here in town, we, we go to our Salamanders game, you know, together as a church usually once a year. All those players who come and play for the Salamanders team, they are all, they're from all over the country, and every single one of them actually need host homes. You know, and I was just thinking about this, like the, the they need host homes. They need welcome. They need welcome into our town. You know, there's individuals that I am sure would love a place at your Thanksgiving table every year. There are um, people who will actually stick around and chat and talk. If you're the kind of family we started doing this years ago, that you just bring your fire pit out in the driveway for Halloween and you offer hot chocolate and roast marshmallows and cider and you just make a place where people can get to know their neighbors. And this has been huge for us. People come back and they say, oh, yeah, y'all are, are the house that does the fire pit at Halloween, right? And we're like, yeah. Now, you can't recognize anybody because they're all wearing costumes, you know, when you met them. And so that's really confusing. But it, it connects people. And we can be those places of connection. So those of you who have students, take this back to them and infuse this in them. Because this is something I, I think our students can grab, that our students are not exempt from this directive. Because... Their schools are starving for followers of Jesus that will be radically hospitable in one of the most integrity-degrading, value-diminishing social environments that our kids experience. Kids are marginalized and excluded, and they're told that they don't belong or that they're not good enough and that their beliefs aren't welcome there. And, you know, there's these anti-bullying campaigns and there's these suicide awareness campaigns all over the place, but teens hear this and parents of kids hear this, you know, the opposite of bullying isn't not bullying. And the opposite of bullying isn't leaving someone alone. The opposite of bullying is hospitality. It's welcome. 
it's inviting others in. And I think our students have the power to be absolutely transformational in their school communities in this way, if they carry this aspect of the kingdom with them. And so let's pray for them. You know, we can do that at the end as well. But radical hospitality has, as part of its core nature, this aspect of protection. It did in the ancient world, and it still does. And we don't protect people because they're right, and we don't protect people because they're like us. We protect people because they're human and because they're image bearers and because they deserve a safe and loving community where they can experience the gospel and see it demonstrated. And, and students, I, I think they have just an unbelievable place to do that. So I get that this isn't always easy. You know, I, I'm one of, we're human, and we all have our own insecurities, you know. We have all personally known that sting of feeling like we're the ones on the outside. And that's actually not necessarily a bad thing. Because I want you to stop for a moment and to consider those times in your life when that's been you. When you felt on the outside, when you felt alone, when you've not felt welcomed, when you felt excluded. And I want you to actually think about it, like, again, not hypothetical, like actually think about those times. Recall those feelings, recall those places, Recall those emotions because the Holy Spirit doesn't leave them in vain. He reminded his people Israel over and over and over again to not forget their time when they were strangers in Egypt. Over and over again. He told them, remember what that was like. Remember how that felt. And just one of those examples is here in Exodus 23, 9, where he says, you shall not oppress a stranger because... You know the heart of a stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. He said, you've been there. You know this feeling. Don't forget it. Use it. You know, and then he gives them all these, these laws and these directives about how to treat the traveler among them, how to welcome those, and, and how to use those times where they were in places and where we were in places of vulnerability where we know the pain of being unwelcomed, and we are all too familiar with that disconnect of exclusion and feeling disconnected, and we can take that experience and we are meant to filter it through the physics of the kingdom of God, this upside down kingdom, where the outsider becomes the host, and it produces in us not a bitterness and a resentment and a further isolation, but it actually produces in us an empathy that stirs us to compassion and welcome. And he transforms that in us to something else. If we could realize that when we are the initiators of welcome, that we're when we're actually the ones making the invitation, that when someone accepts our invitation, there's this crazy thing that happens where we're welcoming them in, but at the same time, we are in return being included. You know, that their acceptance of our welcome is a reciprocal thing. So being hospitable is actually a double blessing because you've welcomed someone and given them that safe space, but at the same time, you have received inclusion and belonging. You know, and the, I, I found this as I was studying through this, all through the biblical narrative. This picture here, this is supposed to be a painting of Abraham when he welcomed the three strangers at his tent and, and welcomed them in. You know, and what happens in, as a result is that they then affirm his promise of a son to come. And in 1 Kings, there's this poor widow that actually welcomes in the prophet Elijah into her home, and she gives him food and gives him drink and a place to stay, even though she is actually terrified herself that her son and she are about to starve to death. 
but but she's provided for because she presents this radical hospitality and the Lord makes sure that her supply of oil and flour actually doesn't run out until the famine's over. And eventually her son actually does pass away, but Elijah raises him from the dead. And then in 2 Kings, we have this other example where there's this wealthy woman who basically builds Elisha a guest house and furnishes it for him so that he can stay there on his travels going back and forth for the Lord, bringing the Lord's messages. And Again, blessing comes to her through her hospitality, through her welcome, because she too gets the promise of a child, and she too loses that child, and again, the child is raised from the dead by Elisha. So while we don't make space for others in order to get something in return, like we talked about at the beginning, we're not looking for reciprocation. There's no prosperity gospel here in this. There is a kingdom connection between this radical type of hospitality and supernatural blessing. And we need to realize that because it's not a bad thing. It's, it's something that the Lord does for us. So I do, I, I want to encourage you that when you feel excluded or like you don't belong, be the one to actually muster the courage to do the inviting and break that cycle of loneliness because it's going to do something for others as well as you. Not only is there blessing in your welcome, and we're going to wrap up here really quick. Not only is there blessing in your welcome, there's power and empowering in your welcome as well. When you extend hospitality, it's like a self-acknowledgement that you have some level of ownership in a space that is safe and loving and kind and nurturing. And with that ownership, you also have an authority. And it's an authority to welcome others into it. And as a host, you're on the inside of something completely just valuable. And so when you include others in that and then it's almost like a part of the discipleship process and you can include them and then you can sort of in turn empower them as owners there, as ones who belong and who've been included and who are wanted there and you kind of hand that host role over to them, they are now in a place of authority that they weren't in before and this pattern continues and we can hand this down and empower others in the same way. An example of this, and I know that's kind of a a weird thing to think about and understand, but as a pastor, one of the biggest signs to me of healthy, effective, um, replicating community is when someone goes from talking to me or Josh or whatever and saying your church to saying our church. I've called some of you out on this because I've noticed some people, they continue saying your church for a long time after they've been here and been apart. But there's something happens from that transition from your church to our church. That when you embrace and recognize your own belonging and welcome, you know, there's a transformation that happens where you're empowered to do for others what's been done for you through the Lord and through his body. So to wrap it up here, I want us to think about what the characteristics are of a hospitable space. Whether that's church or your home or your social circles. And to do that, I think we need to think about, well, what makes us feel welcome? A few months ago, I was actually visiting my mom um, over a weekend, and I was there over a Sunday. And, and when I'm gone over a Sunday, I do still try to find a church that I can visit and, and, and go and kind of see how they do things and um, not kind of stay in our own little vineyard bubble all the time. And so I found this church online and took the girls. My mom had heard of it, and I show up, and you know, they had greeters at the door, and they kind of just said hi and did their thing, and that was it. And so I kind of struggled a bit to, to get 
Ava signed in the kids' church, and Karis was like, I ain't going in there with the middle schoolers. I'm coming with you. And I was like, okay. And so she comes with me, and by the time we figured out the thing with Ava and got in the service, we were a little late for the service, and it was the place was packed, and we really struggled to find a spot to sit. And after this whole experience, and I kind of came home and debriefed, I realized it really forced me to, for the first time in a long time, relate to what it's like for others coming into a space for the first time and to see things through the eyes of visitors. And I hadn't done that in a while. And so I began to ask myself if there are hindrances in our own church body that might make people feel welcome or not feel welcome. Are there things that would keep them from being settled here and feeling like, you know, come in and rest yourself? And so I think we have to remember and imagine those times when we were the vulnerable ones, we were the new ones, when we were the outsider, and we need to think about what made us feel welcome and what maybe made us feel ostracized. And this isn't something I can answer for you. You know, we, we have this, this hospitality ministry thing, but it's beyond that. You know, for example, in my experience, being called out as a first-time visitor is, like, one of the worst things you can do. Like, I still have flashbacks of, like, services I've been in where it's like, all right, if you're a visitor, stand up now or raise your hand or whatever. Like, you, you guys know that feeling, right? It's like, oh, gosh, no, don't call me out. You know, and we had these connect cards that are in the back of the seats. You know, and I would love to get those if we can. Uh, you know, I send everyone that fills one out an email. But honestly, I would rather not get them at the expense of someone's comfort and welcome. I would much rather us be the kind of community that is so welcoming and loving that people are right at home and they feel like they belong here and that they could come back and that they want to come back another week and maybe then we get to know them on a very relational level and get their information that way. But not at the expense of their comfort. So I want to challenge you guys next week as you walk in the door here, whatever time you get here, whatever way you come, whatever service you're performing that morning, to walk in with fresh eyes as someone who's walking in for the very first time. And to look and to see and, and to assess what's distancing and what's welcoming. You know, what, what makes our space or doesn't make our space that kind of place where people can encounter the gospel. And share those observations with us. You know, we want to do all we can as leadership to ensure that there's nothing like that that would, that would keep someone from hearing the gospel as a result of, of a blip in our hospitality or the way that we do things. So, you know, when it comes to... Um, getting good at this and being hospitable and specifically this radical hospitality in a church I was thinking about this um, you know I, I don't think this is at all like an introvert extrovert thing um, as a matter of fact I think the best greeters are the introverts because they know when to stop talking us extroverts like don't know when to shut up and that person's going to be our best friend before they make it into the service you know but as we gather I just want to encourage you guys you know and, and this isn't a thing all the time but and it applies to those who are already in this room as well as new folks who may come in. It applies in your social circles. It applies in your homes. It applies in your neighborhood just to, to kind of give you this, this paradigm for doing this and getting good at this. That if there's a face that you don't recognize, welcome them. If it's someone that there's a face you recognize but maybe a name you don't know, make introduction. Introduce yourself. Learn their name. If it's a name that you know, but maybe a story that you don't, invite them to share with you. Make space. Invite them to dinner. Take that next step. Invite them to coffee. Invite them to lunch with us, you know, on a Sunday. Welcome them. Get to know them. This is one of the reasons I'm actually super excited about this ladies' retreat that we're about to have, because there's a lot of really intentional time built in for those who don't know each other's stories to learn them and to go a lot deeper on that level of relationship. So there's another plug. If you still want to go... 
you know, let me know. We'll see if we can work that out and there's space left. But in all of this, I encourage you, like Romans says, to welcome each other as Jesus has welcomed you. And if we do that, we've done great.